I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Welcome you this morning. This morning I'd like to share with you number two sermon on my coin series. If you remember the last time I shared, I talked about investments. This morning I'd like to talk about what money can't buy. Do you like money? Everybody likes money, right? I can't even make money jingle. I used to work with a guy. He was actually my boss. and He had a half of chewing gum and jingling the change in his pocket. And he'd walk around that way and uh, uh, he was actually between me and the president of the company because I had to answer to him First of all, he was kind of the treasurer, comptroller, I think his actual title was. And I had to explain to him why I spent forty to $80,000 of the boss's money a month. And uh, so he, he helped me to, to, to the task. He, you know, he, different times he'd say, well, why'd you buy that? Or I had to, I had to have an explanation for, for my expenditures. And uh, that was one of his habits, and it probably annoyed me a little bit that he jingled that change in his pocket and chewed his gum when he was drilling me out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, we all like money. We need it. It's part of life. It's a necessity of life. But uh, uh, we dare not. We dare not love it. Turning your Bibles to First Timothy chapter six. I'd like to begin reading at verse six through verse twelve. First Timothy six, verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we have brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Looking at verse 6. Is that my standard of measure? That godliness with contentment is great gain? How do I measure my life? How do you measure your life? Do you measure godliness, uh, godlikeness, pleasing the Lord as a life that is, is, is gaining and prosperous? Um, you know, when I think of contentment, as I read these verses as I was meditating, when I think of contentment, I thought of my occupation. Uh, I'm a dairy farmer, and you know, content cows are probably the most profitable cows. When they're content, they're profitable. And uh, I suppose that can be true for us spiritually. When we're contented in Christ, when we're contented in God, then we are profitable in His the work of His kingdom. And uh, am I content in Christ? Uh, is that my, notice it says, great gain. I like that adjective there. Do I anticipate great gain 
in godliness as I experience contentment in, in my walk with him. Uh, you know, Satan, as I was, we were discussing the Sunday school lesson, you know, Satan has all kinds of allurements and things, and I think the mention was made, I'm not sure if somebody ever mentioned the, the allurement of Satan, you know, the wealth and health gospel, uh, you know, you trust the Lord and he gives it all to you. Well, he does, but, you know, he doesn't say it's going to be a life of ease and enjoyment physically and temporally. Uh, it, our life, it, go, it goes beyond this temporal and now. And uh, so we need to realize that um, there may be some things as we serve the Lord, as we follow Christ, that are undesirable for our, uh, in this life. But we can experience contentment still in spite of that as we know that we're serving the Lord and... Uh, Notice verse 7, it puts things in perspective. It says, we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Everything that we have in this life is here just for now. The change that you jingle in your pocket, you can't take it along with you. You can jingle it all you want. Uh, you know, how much plainer can it get? And yet we, we, we clasp our hands. Naturally, we our hands want to want to... Hang on to the things that we got, the things that we worked for, the things that we've striven for. Uh, it's clear here that we cannot take it with us. <clears throat> Notice verse 8, having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. The basics of life, food, clothing, and we oftentimes add shelter to that. Uh, you know, we say that's one of the basics, and maybe that's because we live in the North Country, we think shelter is a basic, and it probably is, but you know, the scripture doesn't say shelter. It just says food and raiment, let us uh, be there with content. Uh, that was just the thought that I, as I thought about that, you know, we, we think of shelter as, as, and we're certainly thankful for the shelter that God has given us to worship in this morning. Uh, certainly be, uh, a bit cold if we were sitting on the outside. Notice verses 9 and 10 describe a path that we dare not find ourselves on. Verses 9 and 10, uh, if you're on that path this morning that's described in verses 9 and 10, we need to get off of it. You need to get off of it. it we can't afford to be on that path. But rather, uh, verses 11 and 12 need to be our, our objective. We need to focus on that. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness and godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called. And uh, again, we are, we are to be a witness of Christ in this world. Uh, again, going back to the Sunday school lesson, you know, as far as Satan, you know, the, Christ won the ultimate conflict, but yet he's, we have that choice to make, whether we're going to follow Satan and the, the allurements and enticements that he gives to us, or whether we're going to follow Christ. Uh, he leaves those choices up to us. Yes, the ultimate conflict is won, but yet God leaves that choice to us. And those choices are laid out here in these verses here, right here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can pursue the things that are temporal, or you can pursue the things that are going to have eternal value. And uh, so that's a challenge to me as I think about the uh, the aspect of what money cannot buy. And I guess I thought about that in relation to the time of the year that we're in and all the spending that takes place. Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, you may think, well, where's our Christmas message this morning? Uh, Davy read part of Luke chapter 2, and uh, I want to read... Uh, Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story, beginning at verse 1. 
And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And it came, and he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She, coming in at that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake to him, and spake of him to all them that looked forward for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God 
was upon him. And I'll stop reading there. Familiar story, a, a, a story that I think needs to grip our hearts anew every year. To realize that God had a plan, God had a purpose. And I guess I was impressed as I, I read this story again. You know, the many ways God worked in the lives of people, and in many instances, very common, lowly, humble people. And uh, so I was blessed as I read that story, and I hope you are blessed and challenged anew. One of the things that stood out to me, uh, as I, I read this, it, uh, I knew it, and uh, I'm sure you're aware of it, is the fact that uh, it mentions God used Caesar's love of money. Uh, he decreed that there should uh, the uh, collect taxes, and I don't know whether there's actually some uh, Bible scholars and historians uh, are not certain that there was actually a tax collected or whether it was a census, but it, it could have very well been a combination of both, a census and a tax collection. And uh, so I was thinking about that, that God used, perhaps, if there was money involved, that God used uh, Caesar's uh, love for getting a hold of, of money in his hands uh, to bring about his purposes, to bring about his fulfillment of prophecy. And uh, taxes are... Anybody never hear of taxes? Taxes are a part of life. We know about them. There's all kinds of taxes. There's property taxes. There's income taxes. There's sales taxes. There's all kinds of multiple use taxes. And, uh, you know, Minnesota is sometimes referred to as the land of 10,000 taxes. Uh, so taxes, we're familiar with it. I don't know, uh, most, quite a number of us live in Dodge, Dodge County and in our last, uh, tax property tax mailing, they had an interesting little flyer along that I saved. I said, well, I may want to use that sometime. I don't know if Olmstead County or Moore County sends anything along like that with their taxes. But uh, I thought it was interesting, and uh, it uh, maybe helps your attitude a little bit about taxes. You know, generally, you know, even the Bible time, the publicans that ta- collected the Roman portion of the tax, you know, they kind of had a little bit of, uh, you know, the Jews didn't like them too well. And uh, they maybe had set up their own dislike by the dishonesty that they maybe many times uh, used. But uh, so I'm thankful that for most part, I think our taxes are are uh, put to good use, and uh, I think there's honesty and uh, integrity involved in it. This is what this little paper says here. If you're a citizen of Dodge County, a- anybody of you read this paper? Okay. Uh, dividing up your tax dollar. On average, for all property taxes collected, Dodge County keeps 40 cents of every dollar to provide services. The remaining 60 cents is then distributed to the cities and townships and school districts and other special departments based upon their individual levy certifications. So you got it. 40 cents the county keeps and 60 cents goes out to other uh, services, uh, dimensions of service. Well, how's that 40% uh, get divided up? 18% gets, 18.8% goes to human services. 112 goes to highway. Uh, 6% goes into general fund. And then 8% goes into building indebtedness, and there's a 2% miscellaneous there. Um, I found it somewhat interesting that uh, they did break that down a bit more. Uh, law enforcement, county sheriff actually takes the biggest chunk. That's almost 27.7%. So they get the biggest divvy out of that 40%. And then I think next was uh, community corrections. So, again, that's behavioral issues. They get uh, 
4.5%. I thought maybe that would have been higher than that. Then it, it breaks it on down. There's nothing. County board is 4.8. Uh, court administration was only 7 tenth, which I thought was interesting. I would have thought maybe that would have been more. Um, county attorney is 2.9, so I can understand that. Uh, zoning is 1.3. Uh, again, they're all kind of miss, uh, very small, but... Uh, you also pay a gas tax in Dodge County. Dodge County receives roughly $62,000 a year from the one-penny gas tax that the state assesses. 60% of those funds go to the road construction, and 40% go to road maintenance. It costs approximately $1.2 to reconstruct a one-mile of a two-lane rural road and $2.1 for one mile of a two-lane urban road. Talk about costs. Uh, Costs uh, on average annual snow and ice removal is eight hundred thousand uh, dollars. That's for Dodge County. Well, that's secondary. But I, I just, as I was thinking about taxes, and I thought about uh, uh, God using the the avenue of taxes to bring about His His the bringing of His Son into the world. Uh, The taxes that the Romans collected was not the only uh, tax that was was collected. And uh, Ben Franklin said about taxes, at least he's credited with this, is he said the only thing in life that is sure is death and taxes. And uh, that may sound kind of fatalistic, but uh, there was a temple tax that was collected, and I need a young man that... Uh, would portray Peter for me this morning. Jocelyn, I'm looking at you. Someone who's uh, strong, someone who's, if you want to come up here, and uh, quick with their tongue and mind. Think he looks like Peter? We'll find out. Well, in Matthew chapter 17, and I found this interesting, actually Matthew, you know what Matthew was before he was a disciple of Christ? He was a tax collector. So he's the, actually the only one that records this in the, in the Gospels here in the Scripture. And uh, I, thought, I found that interesting because I suppose that he had a keen interest in what was taking place here. In Matthew 17, in verse 24, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received the tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? Now what he was talking about here was the temple tax. And... Uh, the Jews were required to pay, I think if you were 20 years or older, had to pay a temple tax to maintain uh, the uh, the temple. And uh, I'm not exactly sure of the amount. I thought it was a half a shekel. In my studying and reading, I thought it was a half a shekel. And uh, so anyway, Peter said, the, the people came to Peter and they said, was well, your master paying his, his portion of taxes? And then uh, verse 25, and Peter said, yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, what thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free. However, verse 27, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast and hook and take up the fish that cometh first up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. Have you paid your tribute money this year? I haven't. I'd like you to go to the creek this morning. And the first fish that comes up, you bring back to me a coin for your tribute money. You can go now. 
It's pretty good. You know, Peter didn't really say, well, Lord, where's my line? Where's my net? How am I going to fish? I really figured he'd probably say, well, where's the fishing rod? <laughs> Keep on going. It's interesting in going back to the Luke account, uh, Caesar Augustus. Augustus, I don't know if you've known this before, but Augustus uh, was actually a title that uh, was uh, voted to him by the Roman Senate. And uh, it said, ex- it means exalted one. And uh, you ready to pay your tribute money? Whoa. And what kind of fish was that? That was a pretty big one. Pretty big one. That's why I wanted a strong young man. One of them big white kind, wasn't it? it must be a flounder. You can sit down. <clears throat> this actually, I think, is a uh, Israeli half shekel coin. And unfortunately, uh, Josh and I can't let you have it because it's not mine. But uh, it will pay. I was going to have you take it back and put it in the offering basket, but they're not there. So, uh, anyway, the uh, you know I, I was impressed with that account as I think of Peter, who willingly, seemingly without question, and I'm not sure what the chronological order was of all that had transpired before uh, Jesus instructed Peter to go and collect that tax money coin for his payment, but. Uh, you know, it, at least in the scripture here, it seems like he did it without any reservation, without any doubt. And I'm challenged as I think of, of, of the obedience. You know, we, we sometimes tend to be critical of Peter, his, his quick-spokenness. But he had a lot of good... Uh, there come the offering baskets now. But uh, anyway, uh, Peter certainly had his good points. And like all of us, we have our, our weaknesses and our strengths. And... Uh, I was challenged as I looked at Peter's willingness to simply, without any reservation, go and, and do what the Lord had, just as Joshua did. He didn't say, well, now, wait a minute here. You know, that's the way we are so many times with God. We want to know the details. Uh, okay, what about, the, what if this happens? What if that happens? And, uh, you know, God wants us to follow him in trust and faith, without any reservation. And uh, he knows our beginning from the end. Coming back to our account here in Luke again. I mentioned that Augustus means exalted one, a title that was voted to him by the Roman Senate in 27 B.C. And if you notice, it says that he decreed that the whole world should be taxed. And uh, I don't know if you ever thought about what the whole world was consisted of in that time, but if you look, my study Bible took me back to Atlas number 13, I think it was in the back, and really it was the Mediterranean Sea coast, uh, northern Africa, uh, Middle East, up along the north to the southern, what we know as Europe today. Spain, I think, was included. So not a real big, large uh, geographical area, but that was that was the Roman Empire at that time. And uh, so that's where the taxes were being collected from. It's basically the Mediterranean Sea coast, pretty much inland a short distance. But uh, And how much of the rest of the world was, was inhabited, I don't know at that time. But... Uh, the Romans had control of that portion, and that's the whole world that was that was civilized world that was being taxed. Well, I want to bring this to 
my message this morning, Things That Money Cannot Buy. I think it's important we pay our taxes, and uh, I think it's important that we uh, uh, realize that they are accountable for the taxes that we give to them. First thing that I notice in our account here in Luke chapter 2, and I, I picked most of these out of Luke chapter 2, the things that money cannot buy, and that's the first one, and I think we, we touched on it in the Sunday school class, and that is the idea of time. Notice in verse 1, it says, those days, and in verse 5, it says, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Time is a gift from God. You know, I don't care how much money you have, you cannot go and buy more time. Uh, I know we think sometimes about, we, we use the expression, we like to buy time, I want to buy time, we... We use that in, ex, in an example of we we want to delay something. We want to procrastinate something. I'm buying time. I wanna I wanna wait. I, I don't like to. I don't want to do something that I know I should do. So I say, well, I'm buying time. Well, it's probably not a good concept. Time is a gift from God. It's a, and we dare never take it for granted. The psalmist tells us that time is measured in days, and we understand that. We, we measure time in, in days. And uh, the psalmist in verse nine, uh, Psalms 90, verse 12, tells us that we ought, to, we, ought to, uh, we ought to be taught to number our days. And uh, so I, I was thinking about that concept. Have I numbered my days? Uh, if I did, uh, there was an app on the computer that actually calculated it out for me. It said I'm at 22,413 days since the day of my birth. And uh, so there are some of you that are at different spaces in that time if you want to go by days. We typically go by years, but, uh, you know, realizing that each day is a gift from God. 22,413 days. What have I accomplished in those in those 22,413 days? You can think, take your age. I'm 61, so you can calculate yours out somewhat close if you want to figure if you're 30 years or 20 years. You know, what have you done with your portion of days that God has given to you? And uh, we are going to give an account for that, I believe. God used Caesar, God used Mary and Joseph, and God wants to use you and me this morning, I believe. Well, I use my time for the glory of God, and uh, I believe it's good to check with God every day. At the beginning of every day, God, Lord, what do you want me to do? with this day that you have given to me. Time is a gift that money cannot buy. It's from God. The second thing that I notice here is that I thought about was the uh the it mentions the uh the lineage of Joseph being of the lineage of David because he was of the house and the lineage of David. You know that's that's something that you cannot change. That's your conception, your birth into the family that you were brought into was something that you had absolutely no control over. You cannot change your DNA makeup. You cannot, with that, regardless of how much money you have, you can't get away from that. It's who you are. And it has to do with the, the genetic background in your past. I am who I am because of the genetics that I'm, I'm carrying. Uh, my hand motions, my voice expression probably goes back to who knows. And uh, each one of us have personality traits that uh, that we receive from previous generations. Your DNA is set by previous generations, and no amount of money can change that. But you know, really, that is secondary, if you stop and think about it. Your physical makeup is secondary to your spiritual makeup. And we have a choice in that this morning. 
because of the redemption and the, and the gift of salvation that is given to us in Luke chapter 2 this morning. That is, that is above and prime that you and I need to focus on. He can take those natural tendencies, those short-temperedness, whatever flaws that we want to take, trace back to previous generations, God can take them and sanctify them and use them and make them, I talked about the weakness and strengths of Peter. Uh, God can take those weaknesses and, and, uh, and refine them in a, into something that perhaps can be used for the kingdom of God. The physical, again, is secondary, but the spiritual is, is important. That's really what what's, makes the difference. We have all inherited the Adamic nature. We all, regardless what our last name is, we have all inherited that Adamic nature. We have all, because of the fall in the garden there in Genesis chapter 3, we have all inherited that Adamic nature. Again, we need to reach out and accept that gift of uh, of the transformation that takes place in our lives through Jesus Christ. That brings me to the third uh, gift that I see here that cannot be bought with money, and that is uh, the gift of salvation. Verses 11 mentions that. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then Simeon also gave that testimony in verse uh, 30, for he says, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Salvation is a gift that we can accept or reject, as I mentioned in the own start of my message. But we cannot, we cannot buy it. We, it's a gift from God, we need to accept it, or we can reject it. As I think about salvation, you know, it's something what we talk about, and as I was meditating on salvation, it's, it's, it's something that's so important for our walk with the Lord and our beginning walk with the Lord, and do we understand how it comes about? Uh, there's three things to me, it's very simple, and even a small child, I think, can understand some of it. Uh, we need to confess with our mouths, just as Simeon did. He confessed. Here's the Christ child. We need to believe in our hearts as Anna did. She believed it. She saw it. She believed it. But then we need to also repent and turn from that which is evil and wrong. There's a change of direction. That's a, that's a result of confessing and believing. Three things. Confess, believe, and repent. Describe salvation. Our experience should describe our experience of salvation. And again, it cannot be bought with money. It's a gift from God. We cannot buy it. The fourth thing that I notice is uh, that cannot be bought with money is the aspect of joy. Verse uh, 10 brings that out. The the, uh, message that the uh, angels brought. The angels said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good tidings of great joy. John 16, verse 22 tells us that this is a joy that no man can take from us. If you have the joy of Christ in your hearts, it don't matter what experiences we encounter in life, the scriptures tell us that no man can take it from us. You decide, and I decide, whether that joy can be taken from us or not. No man taketh it from us. Only if we surrender it will it be taken from us. You know, joy is uh, its an experience that's not dependent on the external events or happenings. And it's different than happiness. Happiness can be bought to a certain extent, but it's very fleeting and short, perhaps. Joy is something, I believe, that is an extension of happiness, and it's a, it has a depth that takes place in our hearts and lives that uh, it's, it's an inner expression, it's an inner experience that uh, that is there. 
and it's, it's, it's something that cannot be bought. I had to think of the verses in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Um, you know, and that puts joy in a little different perspective. It's talking about being tested. Uh, we should count it joy when we experience that testing and trying of our faith. Um, I should just turn to those verses, James chapter 1. Read them there in my, when I was studying. James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now that sounds like something I want, something we need. Entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and shall be and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that waveth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let him, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I'll stop reading there. But uh, I like that. I like what James has to say there about experiencing joy. You know, when we're tested, when we're tried, you know, think of the effect it has on our lives. Uh, it has a purifying effect, and it brings about patience. And when patience has its perfect work, then it, it, it makes his entire wanting nothing. Uh, can I comprehend that? Can I grasp that? That when I'm tested of the Lord, when I'm tried, that I will want nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. We may not have the answers to why I'm experiencing the things in life that I'm experiencing. You may not uh, have necessarily the answer is why you're going through the things you are in life either. But ask God. He has the wisdom. He giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But we need to ask in faith. Faith means that I'm reaching out to God. I'm trusting God for that answer. And whether he gives that answer in a way that I expect or not is sometimes where we where we grapple. And uh, sometimes we're... Maybe the Lord doesn't answer at all, but yet our faith needs to be strong in Him because He knows our beginning from the end. And it, it brings about perfection in our life. That's the, the, the emphasis I wanted to give here is the fact that the trying of our, our faith and, 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 the, and experiencing our joy being tested brings about perfection in Christ. The fifth thing that I notice here in, in our passage in Luke here, the Gospel story, the birth of Christ is the idea of peace. Uh, verses 14 and verse 29. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. And then also in verse uh, 29 again. Simeon said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. You know, Simeon was waiting for this. And he finally said, Lord, I've seen what I need to see. I'm ready to depart. I'm ready to give up my life. I've, uh, I'm leaving this life with peace. A pronouncement of peace toward men by the angel choir. I'd like to read Ephesians chapter 2. You know, as we think about peace, it, it's what we need in our relationship with the Lord. And if you read Ephesians chapter 2, it puts things in a perspective that I believe helps us to understand that this, our relationship with God was not just simply a relationship that uh, was not what it, you know, just a little bit below par. 
It's a relationship that had deteriorated to the lowest level that it could have gotten to. You who hath, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You talk, you see what I'm talking about? It's not just a relationship that was just a little bit below par, but it's a relationship that is, is gone 100% the wrong direction. We're dead in trespasses and sins. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the par of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Certainly not uh, a very nice expression there. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But now look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. We can't buy it. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who, hath called, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, is the flesh made by hands. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, Having no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope. No hope. You know what hopelessness is without Christ? <clears throat> but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. Notice that. He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in, in ordinance for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the father now therefore Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building fitly, fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. God's peace is given to us this morning. It's a gift that we cannot buy, and uh, Ephesians there the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and its influence and guidance in our lives should be the result of that peace in our lives. Um, and again, we, we noticed that in the example of Simeon. I think Simeon had come to a point in his life that he, he realized that he had, he had experienced and witnessed the peace of God being brought into the world. The sixth thing that I, I want to mention that cannot be brought with money Actually, is not was not in our text that we read in Luke chapter 2, but it's actually in Luke chapter 1 leading up to our account here. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. And that's the favor of God. We cannot buy the favor of God. I don't care how many million dollars you have, how many billion dollars you have, you cannot buy the favor of God. The only way we can be brought into the favor of God is by accepting the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
Now, as you look at Luke chapter, pardon me, Luke chapter 1, verse 30, the angel came to Mary and he said, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And that verse was one of my daily verses that comes to me in the morning. I usually have a verse that I pick up off my phone, and that's kind of what I focus my meditation on. That verse came up earlier in the week, and I, I was thinking about that verse. You know, what a powerful testimony to, to have someone come and tell you that an angelic being come and say, you found favor with God. That's a powerful message. That's something I think we all ought to covet after, to be found in favor with God. This isn't just some dignitary. This is the God of the whole world, the whole universe. It isn't Caesar. It isn't the president. It's, it's the God of the whole world and universe. And, and they came to Mary, the humble girl that she was, and gave that testament that you have found favor with God. I was going to read verses 26 through 30 there, that whole testimony. Verse 26, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou art highly favored. Again, there's that word favored. Highly favored. Not only just favored, but highly favored. The Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. It's interesting, as I thought about uh, Mary here, what a testimony. The name Mary actually is synonymous with Miriam, I believe, and it means exalted. Now, you remember when I started in, in Luke chapter 2, it talks about Caesar, and it says he was, Augustus means exalted one. I thought that, that was interesting, the connection. Here was Caesar, who was the ruler of the world, and the Roman Senate had given him the title of Augustus, which means exalted one. Here's Mary, a disciple, follower of Jesus Christ, and her name means exalted as well. As well, Would you rather be exalted by God? Would you rather be in favor with God or in favor with man? You know, it's a choice we have to make sometimes. Uh, God brings those opportunities before us sometimes. We need to make a choice whether we're, we want the favor of God or we want the favor of man. I as I meditated on what really brought about the favor of, of God on Mary, I think the key is in verse 38. If you notice that in verse 38, I, I guess I actually didn't read that far, but notice verse 38, I think is Mary's testimony. Verse 37 and 38. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. You know, Mary was questioning these things, the message the angel brought. And in verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. That's a, a, a wonderful testimony. I think that we all need to come to that place somewhere in our experience with the Lord. Lord, here I am. Be it unto me as whatever pleases you. Submission, not my will, but thine, according to his word. If it's according, if it's going to be according to God's word in my life, how am I going to know it? If I'm going to make that testimony that Mary made, be, a, be it according, uh, be it unto me according to thy word, I need to meditate in God's word. I need to read God's word. I need to be, this book here needs to be our, alongside of us. Needs to be in our hearts. Needs to be in our minds. We need to be meditating on it. Mary said that. She said, 
According to your word, be it unto me. If I'm going to know what the word of the Lord is and its impact on my lives, I need to know, on my life, I need to know what it says. And I need to be familiar with it. I need to read it. I need to meditate in it daily. Again, am I more concerned about the favor of man than the favor of God? Six things that money cannot buy. Time, our genetics, our salvation, our joy, and our peace, and our favor with God. There's many other things that money cannot buy as well, and we we could uh, launch into that. But that's where I'm going to leave you with those thoughts this morning. And uh, if you want to truly be rich, don't worry about the coins that are jingling in your pocket or aren't jingling there. You certainly can be rich if you focus on those six things that will bring you into favor with God.